Well, hi, I am Pastor Cabot. I am uh, so glad to be with you here this morning, and uh, it's good to see people coming back. I know some people have gotten their second COVID shot, and they're coming back, and others are just kind of filtering through. I actually got a, a second COVID shot yesterday, so if you see me foaming at the mouth or falling over or something like that, you'll know why. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, I, I uh, normally we'll, we'll I'll start the message here and we pray, but we have uh, we have something uh, special today. Um, Ryan and Dana Irwin, if you would come on up here. Uh, Ryan and Dana have uh, have been part of our congregation for the last, oh, I think six, seven months, something like that. And um, I don't think any of us expected the, the connection uh, to be as, uh, as close as it's been, uh, but we're, we're really grateful for you. And, and uh, so uh, they're going to, uh, uh, going to share with you uh, their experience here, their testimony. And uh, do you have a mic? There we go. Well, hello. Thank you so much for having um, a bit of that. And so um, 16, um, all of a sudden on our anniversary stopped being able to walk and breathe very well. And um, that was traumatic <laughs> and has been um, a big piece of our journey, one of the most, or the most significant part of our journey these last five years. And um, lots of stuff happened in between then and 2020. But um, by fall of, or by summer of 2020, we really believed that the Lord was leading us to seek um, extensive treatment for an extended period of time. And probably none of you know this, but there's a highly specialized clinic across the street off of Route 12 and um, that specializes in neurological conditions and whatnot. And so the Lord led us here and um, we didn't really know how we were going to afford it. We didn't know where we were going to live or anything. And, um, but we were part of a local E-Free Church in the St. Louis area. And so somebody suggested reaching out to E-Free Churches in this area. And um, through that, I ended up talking to Cabot a couple times on the phone. And, um, and I know, I think it was like in the bulletin even or announced or whatever, there was, we were trying to find, you know, if, if there was some place that we could stay that would be cheaper than you know, the like Airbnbs that are going to be like 3000 a month and such. And, um, and we didn't end up finding a place through LifeSpring, but that was not part of the Lord's plan. He had a different lodging situation that was from a different part of the body of Christ that was provided and has been an amazing blessing over these six months. But um, through the conversations with Cabot and whatnot, we ended up um, being connected to LifeSpring. And and while LifeSpring didn't find the place where we laid our heads down at night, we ended up being able to find a church family and a church home here that we hadn't even expected, had not expected at all. And um, the girls have been, our, we have three daughters, they've been able to be part of the youth group these six months, and um, I've gotten to join in with the men's group, and um, we've just been so abundantly blessed by being wrapped up in the love of Christ through his body here. And, um, and simultaneously, the Lord used um, a local church in St. Louis to wrap around us and, um, and has uh, taken care of our house and, um, and ended up actually, Friday was Dana's last day of treatment after six months and, um, and our house is under contract. And um, so that was, that was a huge, that was a crazy huge day on Friday. Um, and so um, we're not moving up here. We're heading back tomorrow, but, um, but 
we have just, like I said, we didn't expect to have a church home or really feel like we ended up developing roots and we've all kind of joked in the past like week or so like, all right, well, we know for the future it takes us about six months to create a life. So um, for better or worse, you know, so um, and we didn't expect at the end of these six months to, well, we didn't expect to be here for six months in the first place, but we didn't expect to, to have people here that we now know and love and will really miss and we'll look forward to coming back and seeing. And so we're just super thankful to, to Cabot and Jill and just to this whole body here. Um, all the guys at the men's group, I'm just really delighted in being, being a part of that fellowship with you guys. And Olson's and alone in the con. Thankful for life's journey being in the hand of the Lord has been, especially these last five years. Um, we are delighted and blessed to have had have had a significant piece of it end up here and be, be with you guys. Yeah. Um, my wife, Dana. Yeah, <laughs> I'm Dana. Um, Spring Grove has definitely have a special place in our heart and always will be, especially for our family. It just has meant so much in terms of healing. We're in ministry in St. Louis, and so this time has been kind of a a break and kind of a reassessing of life and boundaries and kind of not just health for me, but for health for our whole family. And so um, it's just been such a blessing to be here. I haven't even been able to be here that much because of treatment taking so much out of me the last month. I've kind of been well enough to kind of join in on some things, but um, it's just been really life-giving. <laughs> um, so you're aptly named, but I know especially for Ryan and the and our daughters, like it's just been such a blessing to me. They've sacrificed a ton to come up here, and so it's just been great that they've been able to be wrapped up in the body. And as Ryan said, like I was, I was talking to a doc, or my doctors about our experience here in Spring Grove, and they're like, "Wow, it sounds like you've created a new life here, and now you're having to go." And that's really what it feels like. And so it is very sad to leave, and we've just appreciated everything that everybody has done for us and supported us and um, we go home with lots of lots of new things um, new house and new health I'm doing much much better we'll see when we get home how it all translates because I've been in intense treatment it's kind of actually taken a lot out of me but I but we've seen tons of improvement so I think when we go home we'll see more and more of that but anyway so thank you so much well, before you guys uh, uh, leave here, this platform, uh, I wanted to pray for you. And, uh, and also, if, if you would, if you feel comfortable and want to, just lift your hand up like that in solidarity with us. Uh, sometimes we have everybody crowd the, the platform here and we, we pray together. But here, just you want to hold your hand up, bow your heads, and uh, we're going to pray. Uh, Father God, I thank you so much for Ryan and Dana. You have... Uh, really worked powerfully in Dana's life, and, and we're just so thankful for how you have helped her to recover physical health, Lord, and how you have blessed Ryan and Dana with spiritual health uh, over these last few months, and for uh, the gift they've been to us um, as a congregation. And, and now, Lord, as we uh, send them out again back to where they came from, uh, we pray that you would anoint them with your Holy Spirit, that you would deepen their walk with you, that you bless them spiritually, emotionally, physically, in every way, Lord, that you provide for their needs, just as you already have, um, that uh, they would not only be blessed, but that they would be fruitful and blessing others. 
I pray, pray that you would bless her ministry, especially her ministry to their daughters, Lord, that uh, they would grow up to be godly women, uh, which they're already well on the track of being, Lord. We're so thankful for them. Um, but Lord, we, pr we pray that you would also bless their community that they minister in and that uh, the light of Christ would shine brightly. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know how this made it up here, but one of the girls drew a picture for me, so it, it's by my feet here, gave it to me this morning. Um, we're going to uh, be jumping back into the book of Hebrews, and if you would just indulge me one more time, we're going to pray over our time in that book. Uh, so once again, uh, Father, we thank you for the, uh, uh, your word, Lord, which is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, Lord. It can do heart surgery on us. We pray that it would. Uh, not only, Lord, that uh, you would uh, convict us of sin, and, and uh, that's needed, Lord, but also that you would help us to know the power of your love and be encouraged in Christ. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work actively among us now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, um, it's sort of a funny day, uh, you know, get that second COVID shot, but uh, that wasn't uh, the funniest thing about today. I don't know if it's even funny. Last night I had a dream, and normally I don't share uh, dreams with people. And I don't often remember my dreams because normally they're kind of fleeting things that disappear, and, and uh, when I wake up in the morning, I know I had a dream, but I can't remember what it was. I don't know how that works for you, but uh, it seems to be a common experience. But in my dream, I, um, I was in some sort of house or building, I'm not sure what it was, it's near a door, and the door is cracked, and as I was walking out, it was dark, like really dark. Uh, couldn't see very well, but I could see that there was, there was a tree covering the area, and it was, uh, it was thick and dense and, uh, and large, and down on, uh, coming down the branches towards the ground was some sort of animal. And at first I thought, maybe it's a large possum or something like that, but then as I uh, look closer, I realized it was something bigger and, and not altogether friendly. And so uh, in my dream, I'm fumbling with, you ever done that? You're fumbling with your phone and you're under pressure and I'm trying to find the flashlight. Where is the flashlight? And uh, so the, you know, kind of the skin in the back of my neck is tingling and, and I'm trying to get my flashlight and this animal's coming. And finally I get the light on and I turn it on this animal and it's not a possum. It looks sort of like a small bear but it wasn't a small bear. It was something with large claws, and it was malevolent and um, just really dark, and, uh, and it, it obviously was, uh, was going to come after me. And uh, so thoughts ran through my head. Uh, what am I going to do about this? Uh, I could run, and that didn't seem like a good option. I didn't want to turn my back on it, and I didn't have any confidence in outrunning it. I could fight, which I, it's usually my, I hate to say it, but I confess it is sort of my first go-to option. And, uh, but I thought, I don't have any weapons, and I don't know, you know, if I, if I wrestle with this thing, I'm going to just get torn up. Um, and then, brilliant me, I called on the name of Jesus. And this beast was gone. And then I looked around, and I noticed that the tree uh, that was around there, a dense tree, um, was a haven for this sort of thing. It was something that uh, this, this could happen again. 
And so I went and I started cutting branches and trimming that tree and letting the light in, and, uh, and it was a completely different place. And then I prayed over that place in the name of Jesus, remembering, uh, you know, that uh, in Luke 11, there is that passage, it comes back, it's more evil than of Jesus. This place is yours, God. So there is power in the name of Jesus. And there is power in the name of Jesus because there's power in the blood of Jesus. And today, um, through no, this wasn't orchestrated or anything, but we are in Hebrews 9, uh, 15 through 28. Uh, The passage we're considering today is talking about blood power. Now, uh, William Barclay, theologian, author of numerous Bible commentaries, wrote this concerning our passage today. Hebrews 9 is one of the most difficult passages in the whole letter. Um, So, We have that going for us. Um, But the reason uh, that it is difficult to read and and try to apprehend is because there's cultural distance between us and uh, and the the one who wrote the letter. The the people who first heard Hebrews 9 would have understood it better than us. It It would have made a lot of sense to them. For us, I'm going to try to help us uh, by dividing this section into two, uh, two parts, your eternal inheritance and blood power. Your eternal inheritance and blood power. So your eternal inheritance is better and more costly than you and I can imagine. Uh, this concept of eternal inheritance is implemented by means of blood. So we'll talk about blood in a minute, but what is your eternal inheritance? Um, it first shows up, this, uh, this concept of inheritance first shows up in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 1.14, where it says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Now, angels serving those who would inherit salvation should come as a a strange thing for us, Uh, a little bit of dissonance here. It shouldn't shouldn't quite fit because all of Hebrews chapter 1 is exalting Christ. We're not a part of it. And so the whole chapter had been speaking of the exalted nature of the Son of God. The Son of God is uh, is God's heir, The Son of God is better than prophets, better than angels. He's the means by which God created everything. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. The Son of God sustains all things. He is now at the right hand of God. His or the throne, the scepter, the oil of gladness, creation will wear out, but the Son of God never will. So what does that have to do with us inheriting anything? It's like the Son of God is great. The Son of God is exalted. Who are we? And yet it says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So who inherits salvation? Uh, In our passage, in Hebrews 9.15, we read, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance. So with such an exalted view of Jesus, it seems that unreasonable that we should inherit anything. 
or that we would even be mentioned in such a setting. And this is not your father's earthly inheritance. This is nothing to do with what we would inherit here on earth. There's a reason why this is called eternal. This is your eternal inheritance. God calls those who are waiting for him into an eternal inheritance. There's a tension here between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. God calls, we inherit, but in, eternal is a loaded word. Uh, in Hebrews 5.9, the author mentions eternal salvation. In 6.2, eternal judgment. In 9.12, eternal redemption. In 9.14, eternal spirit. In 13.20, eternal covenant. As my friend Dr. David Jones notes, this is in contrast to earthly shadows and symbols made by human hands that will not endure. This idea of shadows shows up again and again and again. What we experience are earthly shadows, but what endures and is more real than what we experience is eternal, and we have eternal inheritance. It's not your father's inheritance. It's eternal inheritance. So whatever holds us captive here on earth, whether it appears to, to us in a pleasant form that we enjoy, or whether it's more like the creature I saw in my dream crawling down that tree, whatever holds us captive here on earth, Jesus has set us free from it through the new covenant of which he is the mediator and the guarantor. Uh, Hebrews 9.15, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those of us, those who are called, may receive the promised eternal inheritance now, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from sin committed under the first covenant. But this inheritance, this eternal inheritance, comes at a terrible cost. It's a costly inheritance. It requires a death, and not just any death, but the death of the Son of God. The death of Jesus. His death acted as a ransom to set us free from slavery to sin and death. We are set free by the death of Jesus. And whether the, it's the chains, whether the chains that bind us are made of pleasure, security, comfort, or the paralyzed fear of that dreadful creature coming down the tree, through the power of Jesus' blood, you and I have been set free. So let's talk about the means by which this takes place, this eternal inheritance. Um, have you ever written out a will? Has anybody written out a will here? Am I inducing guilt here? You've never written out a will? Do you have wills? Does anybody have a will? Loud and proud. Okay, some of us have written out a will. Now, as anyone here who has written out a will, has the person, the beneficiaries of your will, have they inherited yet? them inheriting did upon your death. Here's the point. No one receives an inheritance until the one who made it out dies. So the new covenant is like a will that is established upon a death, 
Upon the death of the Son of God, all who are Christ's followers are the beneficiaries who receive the promises of God, eternal inheritance. We're the beneficiaries. But it's a costly inheritance because it requires a death. Jesus' disciple Peter was so excited about this concept of an eternal inheritance that he wrote in 1 Peter 1, 3-5, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed in that last time. Thinking about my dream, you are shielded until that last day by the name of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus. So thinking about the immensity uh, of what you will inherit as Christ's followers, you, uh, you inherit a place with God himself that can never spoil, can never perish, can never fade. Eden, that first garden, is like a prototype. Uh, the physical representation of God's intention, not just a paradise, but it helps us to envision God's people, God's place, walking with God. What happened back then, while it is wonderful and perfect and without blemish, is not nearly so great as what we will experience in the future, as what God has for us. Now, I know some of you have heard this from me before, but I believe it helpful for you, and, uh, and I, I, I think all of us struggle with understanding the immensity of God's promises to us. We all struggle with understanding the power of the blood of Jesus, that cost of the inheritance, and the immense, the, we can't even comprehend the immensity of what God has for us, that eternal inheritance. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to go through this once again, just to remind us of the scale of things. If you were creator of heaven and earth, if you created the world, how would you make it? Would it be flat? Would it be round? Would it be some other shape? Would it be wet on the outside and fiery on the middle? How would you light it up? Would it be crittery? We live on the thin crust of a spinning ball with fire at its center and iron at its core, and the ball that we live on dances through the sky with other ball-like planets and bright, fiery stars. It seems impossible that as we walk along the path or swim in the coolness of the lake, that the earth is spinning faster than the speed of sound and travel far And we ask. It's fantastical distance that the one who made all these things cares for us. But think about this, too, when we um, consider the visual observance of geography. The ball of light that hangs in the sky from which we call the sun is small and bright from our appearance. And yet it warms the earth. And from a distance, we can tell there is power 
and the sun, but if we were to stand on the surface of the sun, observing it, we cannot tell with our eyes that it would take one billion planets the size of the earth to fill the sun. While the earth is 8,000 degrees at its center, the sun is 27, did I get it, million degrees Fahrenheit at its core? The sun that warms the earth is only a medium-sized star. And a galaxy of 100 billion stars in a universe that's over 100 billion galaxies, actually, no one really knows how many stars there are in the universe. We can't count them. We can only guess based upon what we observe. Now, I use this uh, illustration to help us understand the immensity of the tabernacle. It was a couple of weeks ago. How big is God's tabernacle? But we could also use the scale, if we're thinking about the God who made all these things, who stands outside above his creation, that he is greater than all these things, how great is the blood of Jesus? How great is the blood of God? How powerful is the blood of God? And how great is the inheritance that God has for us? It's beyond belief. If we can't count the stars in the universe... We can't understand what God has for us as our inheritance or the power of the blood of Jesus. We can't do it. It's greater than we imagine. It's more powerful. This is the blood of Christ. I'm uh, struggling without glasses here, I'll confess. Um, In Hebrews... uh, Let's see if I can get that. I'm going to need help here. Uh, okay, verse, verse 18, 918. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. So we're talking about blood power here. And within this idea of blood power, we have uh, three different um, areas I'd like to, us to focus on. Uh, the first is bloody rituals. The second is blood in heaven. And the third is the blood of salvation. And so considering bloody rituals, is anybody excited about bloody rituals here? Uh, It's here. It's in scripture. Um, So I repeat myself, uh, Hebrews 9.18, this is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet, wool, branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. Can you say ooh? Um, And he said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep tabernacle and everything to be cleansed with blood forgiveness. Blood is necessary for forgiveness. Blood is necessary for our inheritance. Without forgiveness, without reconciliation, without ransom, we can't be reunited in our relationship with God. And blood is necessary for that. Don't you get it? Can you imagine getting blood all over you? And saying, praise God, hallelujah. That's the image that's taking place here. This is the lower tabernacle, the one established at the foot of Mount Sinai, merely a shadow of a greater reality. So the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system dominated people's lives. The drumbeat they marched to 
but it was a copy, a shadow, telegraphing at the ultimate reality that exists in heaven. The earthly tabernacle is a shadow of the heavenly one. It's like a child trying to make a copy with mud out of anything else, a car, a plane, whatever else. How much does that resemble, even in their best moment, the actual item? And yet there are valuable lessons that we learn from the lower tabernacle. First of all, the lower tabernacle was holy. It's where God's presence was said to dwell in a unique way. God's presence is everywhere. But he exists in a unique way at certain times and places. And in that tabernacle, it was set up so that the closer one got to God, the more restricted the access was and the less often you could go there. And so by the time you get to the holiest place, only the high priest could go there only once a year and only with blood. It gives us an idea of God's holiness. You cannot just walk into the king's presence, the king of the universe. You can't just barge in anytime you want. Restricted access. And you have to be completely holy. There can be nothing wrong with you, not even one little thing, or you'll be burned away. That's how it works. And the tabernacle was God's presence among his people. It was mobile because the people were mobile. That's why God had a tent. Remember the word tabernacle means tent. And when Jesus came in in the gospel of John, John 1, he tabernacled amongst us. He put on his tent of flesh. Jesus was mobile like the tabernacle was mobile so that he could be among us. It was, the tabernacle was holy, it was God's presence among his people, and entrance into the tabernacle required blood. Bloody rituals to help us understand the power of Jesus' blood. Like mud pies, you know, we're trying to make little things that help us to understand blood is required. You're going to get blood sprinkled on you. Blood's going to be sprinkled everywhere because blood is necessary. Don't you get it? We need the blood. Not the blood of calves and goats or anything else, but the blood of Jesus, because there's power in that blood. There's also this idea of blood in heaven. So if we back up to Hebrews 9, 11 through 14, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made by human hands. We talked about He did not enter, he entered the most obtaining eternal redemption. Now, if we forward to verse 17, the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. How much more, how much more than will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. All right, that was verse 13. All right, it's 11 point font. Next time we're going to go for 14, I think. Um, So this is our, our passage today. Hebrews 9, 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And then if we think about the 
bloody rituals, and we fast forward to verse 23, it says, it was necessary then. You've been ransomed through blood. Blood is the power. It was necessary then for the copy of heavenly things to be purified with the sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with sacrifices better than these. The heavenly tabernacle is covered with Jesus' blood. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. He entered by his own blood. The powerful blood of Jesus is what is underneath, what undergirds our salvation, our eternal inheritance, is the powerful blood of Jesus. How many times does Jesus need to offer his blood? Go ahead and answer me. Once, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once and for all for the culmination of ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once. The power of Jesus' blood is a one-time, it's historical, but it's also an eternal act. It doesn't need to be repeated, but it's efficacious, it's effective for all time. Because it is greater than that. It actually happened in history, but it's greater than that one event in history because it's God, the eternal God. And so when we think about this, First of all, just a quick aside, when we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, uh, there are many different ideas on what we're actually doing there. Uh, is the bread Christ's real body? Does it somehow get transmuted into his real flesh? And is the, is the wine or the juice, does that really become his blood? And I am convinced by this passage and others that it is not the case that Jesus is body is this bread and that his blood is this cup. I do believe that God meets with us in a very special way, perhaps more than a remembrance. And I do believe that there is a wide range that we can have as far as beliefs and what we're actually receiving because the command is to do this in remembrance of him. That God will meet with us during that time. We'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper later today. God will meet with us through the blood of Christ because of what Jesus has done, God will meet with us. But Jesus does not need to be sacrificed ever again. He has been sacrificed one time for the forgiveness of sin. It's one time historically, and there's one eternal, powerful sacrifice that occurred for the forgiveness of sin. It's a done deal. And so we have the power of Jesus' blood. It's already been done. It is in place, and that is the foundation of the inheritance that we receive. All right, so let's go to this last section here, blood and salvation. So Hebrews 9.27 reads, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him.
There is power in the name of Jesus because there is power in the blood of Jesus. When we think about, um, you know, we, we don't, many of the times, we don't want to consider our acts to be as, as bad as they are. We, uh, uh, it's been said that we, we don't want to, I'm a sinner with that. I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I hope that God will reconcile me and, and take me into heaven. That's my, that's my argument. And yet, if you were a good enough person, would we need the blood of Christ? Would it be necessary for that powerful blood of Jesus to be spilled if it was enough to be a good person? There is no one saved by any other way than but by the powerful blood of Jesus. And in this life, we have, we have the hope of the life to come, which our inheritance is greater than we can imagine. If we say that Eden's a prototype, that we're in relationship with God, in the place of God, walking with God. It's given the gifts of God for the purposes of God. And our desires will be ordered such that we desire God more than anything he's given us. That's the new creation, the new heavens, new earth. But today, if that creature crawls down the tree and you're struggling, whatever that looks like for you, I'm sure it looks different than it does for me, but if you see that thing and it's got slavering saliva and it's got sharp claws and you think this thing is going to eat me up, you are shielded by the blood of Christ. I encourage you to call on Jesus' name. Now, I'm a knucklehead. I thought about running. I thought about fighting. I thought about all these things before I thought about calling on the name of Jesus. And you might be that way too. There might be something you're struggling with powerfully right now and you've been trying to do it on your own but you need to be shielded by the blood of Christ. This passage speaks to us not only of blood, but it speaks to us of power that is available for those who follow Christ, that you can live a life that's unshakable with the power of God. It doesn't mean your circumstances are necessarily going to get better. They might, they might get worse, but it means that you can endure because of the power of Jesus through his blood. I want to encourage you in that. Now, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, that, that's, that promise is for you when you do put your faith in Jesus. Not saying that promise is not for you, just saying that, that, that there's a first step to this. And it's to say, gosh, you know what? I want to stop trying to fight. I want to stop trying to run. I want to stop saying I'm good enough. And instead, before God, I want to say, it's Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. And I want Jesus to run my life. I want him to be the king of my heart. I want him to be the words on my mouth. I want him to be the theme of my song. And you can pray that. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for my sins. Help me to walk with you. And he will. And for his Holy Spirit to come in and lead and guide and encourage. Maybe there's something that needs to be kicked out first. Maybe you need to trim that tree, that dark tree that's not letting the light in. Maybe it's a tree that has comfort and pleasure and security and all these different things, but it still needs to be trimmed. Or maybe it's a tree of fear or whatever it is. You've got to get out there and cut the branches and pray over that thing. Pray in the name of Jesus 
that he will powerfully let the light in. So there is power in the name of Jesus because there is power in the blood of Jesus. Christ followers, his blood has purchased for you an inheritance that is better and more costly than any of us can imagine. Please bow your heads with me. Uh, Father, thank you for Jesus. He is our hope. He is our king. There is no salvation outside of Jesus. There is no eternal inheritance outside of Jesus. And there is no eternal inheritance that can be put in place outside of his powerful blood. What a costly gift for you, God. And what an amazing inheritance for us. Help us to know that you love us. You love us so much. You love us so much that you gave your only son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.